0: Greetings to each one of you in Jesus' name. I um, I actually take serious strength from being able to say that. I have a uh, one of the brothers in our church is a, uh, I guess we, we call him a computer programmer, sometimes even shorter words than that, like geek and that kind of thing, but he will... In the field he's in, he will, at times, go around the countryside, and he will give talks on his work. That would scare the willies out of me. To stand up and tell somebody about computers, I mean, they are so random in their behavior, and you constantly have to work the bugs out of them. And it's just a completely different um, loveliness to be able to stand up in front of a group of people that most of them you haven't seen before. And, and say greetings in Jesus' name. I have a book we're going to talk about, and it has stood for the test of time, and it's timeless. And I know what it says is true. And uh, most of what I what I plan to share this week will will simply be in a a a uh, a common man's expansion of what you can read for yourself. But there is benefit in one man digging. For another's benefit. And that's one of the glories of preaching. I don't know what to say as far as introduction. Yes, we live in Tyrone. Uh, that's our address, a couple miles outside. It's in the mountains of central Pennsylvania. Uh, central Pennsylvania is about three miles from our house. A little village called Birmingham and the in the 1850s, they, they sued in the Pennsylvania Supreme Court to try and get the capital moved there. They mustn't have got it done because there's nothing there anymore except it's the center of the state. Um, I have a congregation there at Tyrone. I also serve down at Altoona, the congregation there. And then there's one on down 99, Interstate 99, at Cumberland, Maryland. And uh, gives us gives me plenty to do. Wife and I, Joyce, have eight children, two are married, the rest are sort of at home, they they kind of come and go. They, when you have adult children, it's a little bit like a boarding house, they, they come and they go, and we're just glad when they're there. But um, I was going to bring a picture along of everybody, and I clean forgot, I just thought of it when I got out of the car. I guess you're just going to have to wait, and maybe I can come up with something before the week's out. But uh, we are here to serve. I'm not planning to have any children's meeting, but I think I'm going to uh, give out a question, a quiz question from the Bible. And I'll let you children dig into it and see if you can find it, or if you have to get your parents to help you or your big brothers. Um, Some of these questions I know you can answer. But I've got one or two in there that I, I, I made as hard as I could so that you maybe wouldn't get it and I could tell you the answer. But um, tonight, uh, I think it's a fairly easy one, although I don't know if anybody, everybody knows it without going and looking. But the question that I want to give you tonight, and you bring the answer back tomorrow night, is simply this. The Bible lists only one breed of dogs. I'll tell you right now, there's no poodles in the Bible. The Bible names only one breed of a dog. You see if you can find it and tell me what it is tomorrow night. I brought this song along, Come Holy Spirit, Come, and I just thought it would be a nice song to sort of be a theme song. Um, In this work of revival, I don't always have theme songs, but... We sang this song in our congregation yesterday morning. Uh, we have the Mennonite hymnal in our congregation. And it's we've been meeting together now for 13 years. And we're still learning songs in that. And last year, uh, one of our song leaders said that he's going, to, he's going to present a song that he doesn't think we've ever sung in the church yet. And we're going to sing it for a month. And uh, this was one of the ones that we practiced and learned last year. And yesterday morning, the song leader just chose it, and as we were singing it, I was thinking about what a beautiful prayer song it is for a week of revivals. It's simply a, an invitation for the Spirit to come and do His work. Um, it's a lot like the song, Come Gracious Spirit, Heavenly Dove, but different. How many of you know it? It's Well, we might be able to soldier through it, and by the end of the week, we can sing it lustily. Um, I'm not the world's best song leader, but I think we can get it going can you give me a pitch? And uh, we'll sing. Let's try and sing verses 1, 2, and 5 tonight. And uh, we'll try to lift our voices on this prayer every evening. Got a pitch? Ooh-hoo-hoo. come Holy Spirit. tonight. You may open your Bibles to Isaiah 40. Last About three weeks ago, my co-worker and I worked late into the evening on a job, and he told me that um, it wasn't supposed to go that way. We have days like that in Pennsylvania. And he told me that he's going to be missing revivals. And so, We left the job up in northern Pennsylvania about the time their church service was starting. And so he just called in and we turned it on the speaker system of the truck and we listened to their night of revivals. And the speaker said this, it was Tuesday evening, he said when it comes to a week of revivals, he said the speaker finds that getting started is kind of like the hardest part. And it's just something about that. I'm here, and um, we want to serve you well, and uh, let us get started. (laughs) Um, It's much worse if you fly to the West Coast, I've learned, than try to preach that night. But here in Isaiah 40, I know this is a scripture that um, most of us know, at least some of it, by heart. And uh, it has some themes that are worth putting your mind to. And I want to pull a text out of the verse 9... And simply use Isaiah 40 as a starting point for our for our week. Um, Isaiah 40, verse one: "Comfort ye, comfort ye, my people," saith your God. Speak ye comfortably to Jerusalem and cry unto her that her warfare is accomplished, that her iniquity is pardoned, for she hath received of the Lord's hand double for all her sins. The voice of him that crieth in the wilderness, Prepare ye the way of the Lord, make straight in the desert a highway for our God. Every valley shall be exalted, and every mountain and hill shall be made low, and the crooked shall be made straight, and the rough places plain. And the glory of the Lord shall be revealed, and all flesh shall see it together. For the mouth of the Lord has spoken it. The voice said, cry. And he said, what shall I cry? All flesh is grass, and the goodness thereof is as the flower of the field. The grass withereth, the flower fadeth, because the Spirit of the Lord bloweth upon it. Surely the people is grass. The grass withereth, and the flower fadeth. But the word of our God shall stand forever. O Zion, that bringeth good tidings, get thee up into the high mountain. O Jerusalem, that bringeth good tidings, lift up thy voice with strength, lift it up, be not afraid, say unto the cities of Judah, behold your God. Behold, the Lord God will come with a strong hand, and his arm shall rule for him. Behold, his reward is with him, and his work is before him. He shall feed his flock like a shepherd. He shall gather the lambs with his arms, and shall gently lead those that are with young. I'll cease reading there look at some other parts of this chapter as we go on but just to get started here Isaiah 40 if you're not familiar with the flow of the book of Isaiah Isaiah 40 represents a pretty substantial change in the in the flow of language um It's been already observed that there are 66 books in the Bible, there are 66 chapters in Isaiah. There are 39 books in the Old Testament There are 39 chapters in Isaiah, and there are 27 books in the New Testament and 27 chapters in the last half of Isaiah. And the first half of Isaiah is talking Old Testament, Old Covenant. The people The people have wandered away from God and there is going to be judgment and the stories of Hezekiah are, are mixed in there. And then when you get to Isaiah chapter 40, you see this beautiful shift where all of a sudden the prophet begins to speak and he begins to talk about a, a restored time, a time when there would be something new on the earth And and it would be different for the people because there would be a work of the arm of the Lord that was going to change things. And from then on, going through Isaiah, you start to read things like um, Isaiah 42. Behold, my servant, whom I'm uphold, mine elect, and whom my soul delight. I put my spirit upon him. He shall bring forth unto the Gentiles, judgment to the Gentiles. He's talking about Jesus. And then you get to Isaiah 53, and it's talking about Jesus. And you get to Isaiah 55, and he's talking about, everybody should come now. And what you see is the new kingdom. And so, all that to say, that here in this passage, when you start reading, comfort ye, comfort ye my people, what you're what you're looking at is the Spirit of the Lord is speaking to Isaiah as a prophet, but he has shifted Away from the old covenant, and his eyes are turned toward the new, and he's calling out in prophecy a day that is going to come, where, well, verse three is the work of John the Baptist, the voice of him that crieth in the wilderness, and he would, he would pick these words up when he, in his time. He said, "That's me. Um, That's the work I'm going to do," and um, and you just have that flow. Now. One of the reasons why chapter 40 might be a little surprising if you would be living in Isaiah's time is because the judgment that was prophesied in the preceding chapters hadn't yet happened. But it was going to. It was going to. They weren't going to get away from it. God in his mercy told Hezekiah in chapter, uh, It's just right there in chapter 39 after he had, Bragged to the Babylonians about how rich he was and everything he had, and he showed it to them. The prophet came back and said, This is going to cost you, and it's going to cost your people, and you're going to face judgment, and everything you have is going to be taken. But the Lord said it wouldn't happen in his days. And, and Hezekiah was twisted enough to say, Well, that's great. At least it ain't happening to me. And I, it, Hezekiah is one of those people that is so inspirational. And then you look at the end of his life, and just kind of leaves a taste in your mouth. He, he did not end where he started at all, or where he had continued for many years. But in Isaiah 40, the prophet begins again to speak, and the message is comfort, comfort ye, a little bit like verily, verily, comfort ye, comfort ye. I, I want to make this point. I want this to get be clear in your minds. The warfare will be accomplished. The iniquity will be pardoned. There's going to be a new voice that's going to straighten things out. And, and, and as this transition, this change is laid out in prophecy to the people, you get down to verse 9, and he says, Now, Zion, you get up. You go up there on the, on the ramparts, or you go up on the, the city wall, the, the watchtowers, and you get in there, and you get your trumpet out, and you start, you start just letting it rip, but just letting it out. Cry, cry. Say unto the cities of Judah, and this is what they're supposed to say, Behold your God. Behold your God. Behold your God. Um, and it's a very, it's a very simple message. But the message of behold your God is intended for the people who will be facing severe judgment to turn around and say, I see Jehovah, I see who he is, and and it's gonna be all right. Comfort ye comfort ye speak comfortably, the warfare is accomplished, behold your God. And so God in his majesty offers offers comfort after judgment. And and it's just I when I read okay, I like the book of Isaiah. It's one of my favorite old Testament books. But when I read it I keep marveling at how a man could take the pen right on the scroll 700, 800, 1,000 years before its time, and just write it down past tense. And today, we have, who have come after, in an age after that, look back on it, and we read it past tense, and it makes sense to us, but you have to understand that he who first heard it, it was past tense to him too. And it was just as sure. It's just as right. And And when you start comprehending that, all of a sudden this book starts to open up because you realize that you're you're eavesdropping on I am. The one who knows the end from the beginning is writing down how it's going to be. And it's safe to look at that and to read it and to grasp it and say, oh, this is comfortable because God is in control. But the cry is still. This good news, these good tidings. Oh, Zion, that is going to bring good tidings. You know how we operate today. Did you hear? They had their baby. Did you hear? Those kidnapped ones in in Haiti are are free. Did you hear that? And it just goes like wildfire, just whoosh. Um, Maybe a soul gets saved. It's wonderful stuff, wonderful news and, and, and it just spreads. we are empowered with social media and we can blast it from 16 different directions. Behold, behold the good tidings. But I find the phrase in its simplicity behold your God to be one that as I meditate on it that this was the watchman's message that he he would climb up there and he just let his voice carry on. When I think about these people I go over to Bangladesh. And I know there's other third world countries where this happens. And they'll take their little electric 3 wheel cart and they'll put a big amp on the back and a big megaphone and they'll start pedaling down the road. And it's playing a preacher. And you can hear it probably a mile or two away. And he's going down the side road. And there he goes, sitting on the rooftop in Baja, And I can hear them out on the sand road. And they're just going and they're just crying out and they're just crying out. And I don't know I don't know the Bungal language, so I asked my boy, what is he saying? He's saying, Come to the mosque, come to the mosque, come to the mosque. Don't pay him any attention. But that that is that's the dynamic of how it's working. Behold your God. Behold your God. Behold your God. And this whole idea of beholding God is a fascinating one to me because of a very a very um, important truth. Okay, what's beholding? You know, you don't use that. You probably didn't use that word today, did you? <laughs> Behold. <laughs> no, we'd say look. Um, we would say, "Behold," according to the concordance, means to peer, to gaze, to stare. According to the Bible Dictionary, it's to look at, to perceive, or to gaze at. So we don't use that word, but it, it's more than just glance. It is that, almost that, stare. <laughs> the mouth comes down. And when I think about Behold, I, I go back to a memory 20-some years ago, September 11th, the World Trade Centers were, atta- were crashed into by the airplanes and they fell down. Now, with that part, I was part of a committee of five men that was responsible to take uh, groups of young people, anyone that wanted to go along for street meetings in New York City, and one of the places we would we would go was right there at the Twin Towers. where There was a place where you could stand and you could sing and could pass out tracks. We were supposed to go up there with 60 folks on uh, the 16th. And I said, "Well, um, number one, we always come in the path and get on the A train at the World Trade Center. That's all closed down. So we decided that the committee would just go up and just." about a week later and just go see what you can actually do around the city and just kind of figure out if there's a place because one of the things we knew was that New York City was tender at that moment and it was a, it was it was an excellent time to have some tracks and to have some some CDs they used CDs back then and and so we said well let's go up there and see what we can do now you know what we did as soon as we got across the Hudson River We said, we're going to go see the pile. And we had a walk between 18 and 20 blocks. We crossed the river, got off the bus, and we started walking. And we walked down across from middle Manhattan down to bottom Manhattan. And finally, we came to this place where we turned the corner, and about seven blocks in front of us is what was left of the World Trade Center. And you could see down the boulevard. And there was just hundreds of people standing there. And nobody was talking. They were just looking. They're just staring at the pile. Those two buildings that were, what, 1,400, 1,300 feet tall had been reduced to a pile about 140 feet high. And they were still smoking a week later. And I mean, there were soldiers in Iran. I never saw that in America before. But that's beholden. Just that they're, they're not there anymore. It's. And you behold, and 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 this is this is the open mouth gaze that we are called to in this. That as God is going to restore unto Himself a people, and as we know more today, we know that the work of Jesus Christ is directly tied into this. But but the prophet is calling out a a motto or a mantra that he is 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 sowing among the people. That it is time to lift up your voice and say, Behold your God. And I don't really have a lot of a, a very broad burden tonight because, really, all is, which is on my heart is simply to pick up this message that was called out by a prophet thousands of years ago and it stands almost immortal. It sure stands yet today to do the same thing Behold your God. Behold your God. Behold your God. And that we will go nowhere in life, particularly in our spiritual well-being, unless we first do this simple act of obedience. Behold your God. Let me tell you about the dilemma of beholding God. Do you know what the Bible says about looking at God? Can't do it. John 1.18, no man has seen God at any time. And it goes on to explain that the fix was that God simply loved us so much that he gave us his son, who is the image of him. And that son was a copy of his father so much that as you move through the book of John, time and again this would come up. If you see me, Philip, don't ask where God is. If you see me, you've seen the father, Okay. And there's a, there's a secret right there that I learned a couple of years ago in a really unique experience about how you look at God, how you behold him, even though you can't see him. How many of you remember the comet Neowise that came through in 2020? Uh, a couple of you do. So um, COVID was hitting high gear in our society. And everybody was either sitting at home or figuring out a way that they could get out. And um, somewhere around June, it was suddenly announced that there's a comet headed our way. It was named NEOWISE after the uh, satellite telescope that had spotted it. And uh, we were told that if you could go out in the night sky, you could see it with your naked eye. And you could see the tail. And I thought I wanted to do that. My family did, so we went. We left our place and we went over to the Tussy Mountain, which is about eight miles to the east of us. It's a ridge of mountains that runs start. It peters out a little bit around State College, but it runs clear down almost to Bedford, I would say. But it's, it's about 2,200 feet high, but there's an Indian lookout right behind Spruce Creek where you can go up, and you can see for miles off that lookout. And we said, that would be the perfect place around here to go see that comet. So we went up there on a Saturday evening. The sundown was around 9 o'clock, and total darkness was more like 945. So around 9, we all piled into the pick. We're on the back of the pickup, and we went down there, and we went up through. And when we got up to the Indian lookout, there's probably 20 cars there. The rest of the neighborhood had the same idea. But we got out, and we walked over, and it was dark up on that mountain. It was so dark that I could it, the sun had set, and there was just a little bit of light in the west, and I could see forms of people. And all of a sudden, a man beside me said, is that you, Dwayne? And here's my next door neighbor. And um, oh yeah, but nobody was talking much. We're waiting for the comment. And um, about 9.30, you're supposed to be able to see the comment. But nobody was. We had anything had from telescopes to big binoculars, and we were trying to see it. And the other neighbor was there, and he is a doctor. And he said, you know, you can't see the comet if you look for it. And I said, what are you saying? Well, he said, your eye has an optic nerve at the back of it. And he said, everybody has a blind spot in their eye. And when you focus on a pinpoint of light, Your focal point will will align that optic nerve right there. And he said, you can't see it. (laughs) So we may as well go home. No, he said, just don't look for it. He said, look for something else, and then you'll see it. Okay, well, the North Star is right above that. I said, are you serious? Yeah, he said, just look for the North Star, and then you'll see the comet. And he was right. Just like that, there it was. And, and I saw it in my peripheral, and I looked over it, and it disappeared. Oh, man, okay. I'm looking at it, but I'm not looking at it. I'm looking at it, but I'm not looking at it. This is how you see God. If you look for him, you can't find him. But just look at something else. And that's exactly what goes on in this chapter. This chapter will go on and will begin to list ways that you can see God and behold him and you're not even looking at him. But when you see what you're supposed to look at, you'll see God. It's actually in here in this chapter. And um, I learned the comet principle, and it, it holds wisdom in beholding your God. Look at verse 10. Behold, the Lord God will come with a strong hand, and his arm shall rule for him. And behold, his reward is with him, and his work is before him. He shall feed his flock like a shepherd. Wait a minute it says at the beginning of the verse that this is God that is going to be a shepherd and he's going to be doing work with people and for people he's going to carry lambs in his bosom he's going to gently lead those that are with young just let your mind wander a little bit do you remember in John 10 where Jesus was teaching one day and he said I am the good shepherd my sheep know me, they hear my voice Do you remember the story of how Jesus one day was teaching out in the desert and the people had not had anything to eat for a whole day and he fed them 5,000 the one time, 4,000 another time? That sounds just like this person here who's feeding his flock, he's gathering his lambs. Let the children come unto me, for of such is the kingdom of heaven. You see... It's all right if you can't actually see Jehovah. And he's okay with that. What he really wants you to see is his beloved son, in whom he is well pleased. He called this the incarnation, where divinity came down and took on the form of flesh. And the best way in the world to see God is to examine his son. Now, I'm covering acres and acres of theology right now at a really high rate of speed. But I'm just giving you an example of how you're going to see the invisible. The pin of light that your optic nerve covers up, it is a fascination to me how there are people that wonder if there is a God. And they look, and they look for God, and they never find him. And then there are people who believe there is a God, and they see him all over the place. Isn't that something? Well, that's how faith works. This shepherd takes care of the moms, the mothers with young, and I just think of that time when Jesus is hanging on the cross, dying, and Mary did not have any young children. But as he's gasping his last breaths, he's calling out to John, "Will you take care of mother?" He's taking care. The mothers, And all you have to do is take a good hard look at the shepherd that you can see, and you will see the God who is his father. It's, it's intended to be that way. Look at verse... Um, I wrote down the wrong ref- the ref- verse now. Which is what, there we go. Behold, verse 15. That's what I wanted to do. Stop and gaze. The nations are as a drop in the bucket, and are counted as the small dust of the balance. Behold, He taketh up the isles as a very little thing. Now, this is talking about the Lord, but as it asks the question back in verse verse 12 of Who measures the world in the hollow of His head. And we have these fantastic measurements of the hands of God and the strength of God and and the horsepower that He had. Well, that's the wrong unit of measure because. We don't have a number for that. Um, But as he's talking about God, he says, now, rather than thinking about me, I want you to think about the nations. Behold the nations as a drop in the bucket. And and what he's doing is he is asking you to look at the forces and the powers of this world and, and the nations as they rise and they fall and they stumble over each other, and they have wars to end all wars, and then 40 years later they have another one even bigger. Behold, the nations are as a drop in the bucket, and people and historians will line up and try to figure out how in the world World War One happened. And all they need to do to answer that perplexing question, and says, well, there's a Jehovah in the sky that sets up whom he wills, and you can't even vote them out. You can't even and by telling us to look at the nations and their inferior quality and size as opposed to the invisible God, all of a sudden in the peripheral, you see the God who rules the nations. And it's just that that whole exercise of look at something else so that you can behold the infinite. you can you can you can view the supreme. History is full of perplexing questions, stories that went the other way from which logic had said. Look at, look at things like the American Civil War, the Revolutionary War. I just marvel at how you listen to those accounts. And and by all the way that the, that, that the events are unfolding, this side should have been the victor. But I don't know why this happened. But that that general went out there in that field and he should have never done that. Yeah, well, he didn't know that. He thought he should because he wasn't in control. And now we have the story. Behold the nations, which are as a drop in the bucket. When you examine that, you will suddenly see the supreme who is behind the nations. And then in verse 26, we have this, this golden verse. Lift up your eyes on high, and behold, who hath created these things, and bringeth out their host by number? He calleth them all by the names and the greatness of might, for he is strong in power, not one faileth. What sayest thou, O Jacob, and speakest, O Israel? My way is hid from the Lord, my judgment is passed over from my God. Israel and Judah, what are you saying? You <laughs> Take a look at nature, take a look at the creation, and you will see the one that you can't see it. What makes you think that you're operating oblivious to him or outside of his circle of concern? It's not true. And what we have is a call to behold the nation. I know in my heart that every human being is making a fundamental decision to ascribe what he sees with his eyes to be masterly designed by Jehovah or some other explanation or explosion. It just is the way it is. You've already decided which way you're going to have it. But, but if you want to see God, creation is a fantastic place. I told you about this comment. You want to spin your mind a little bit? The people that discovered it, the, the, the astronomers that discovered it, said that it runs an 8,000-year cycle. Okay, we can work with that, can't we? That means if the world is 6,000 years old, that when, it, when God said that there be light, and then He put the planets, He He put a comet on a trail going directly away from us. And when Noah's flood happened, it was even farther away from the Earth than it ever, it was when He created it. And when He called out Abraham, it was still going the other way. And, when, and you just follow the timeline of creation and say, so where's Neowise by now? And suddenly you realize that he turned the corner somewhere around the time of Isaiah. It turned the corner, and it's coming back the other way, and it's been coming back ever since. Does that, does that mess with your mind a little bit? It, uh, for some reason, it's like, it's like a bad cell phone signal or something. You just start to have skips in, in between the words. There is one other possibility that I can think of because of what I know about God. And that is that maybe he didn't create it on the day of creation. Maybe he just created it a week before Neowise saw it because the whole world was gripped by COVID-19 and they needed something to put their mind on. He said, here, take a look at this. And then he brought it right down past our hill and we went up in the mountain and watched it. God can do that too. And not the one is not harder than the other. At least I don't think it is. If you can make it the first time, you can make it any time, right? Sure. So maybe just just 2020s when it was created. No human was around. Our telescopes didn't see it. There was, we didn't even see a bang. But there, hey, look, there's a comet coming our way. Well, let's chart the trajectory. That's an 8,000 year loop. Well, yeah, it's on an 8,000 year loop, but who knows where it started. Why don't we just why don't we just behold who hath created these things? And you know, my world in central Pennsylvania is full of of that kind of thing. This is the time of the year where when I go from Belleville over to Penn Valley to collect their water sample, I go over Jack's Mountain and as sure as the sun came up, there will be the, all those hawk watchers sitting there. You know what they're waiting on? They're waiting on the Golden Eagles to come down from the tundra and soar by that mountain because they do it every year this time. And there are people that are paid minimum wage. It's a, I can hardly, I want to do it when I am retired. And just sit up there with my clipboard and my t- binoculars and just, Cooper's Hawk, put it on that sharp-shinned hawk. Oh, they're, they're moving it. Ball Eagle. You knew they were coming. They always do. They were created that way. And if you sit there in the spring, they'll be coming up the other mountain going the other way heading back up because they're down to North Carolina or down to Savannah, Georgia or wherever the Hawks go different ones go to different places and I ask the, I, I usually stop and just talk with the people what are you seeing? why do you do this? and uh, they all say the same thing they say that it's such a beautiful thing to watch and they know it's coming and not all of them will say whether or not they, uh, they believe in a creator that made them and sent them on their way but there it is. It's just, a, it's just a beautiful thing. We have the Juniata River right out in front of our house. Not, not It's a mile or two away. But I watch that, and, and every season there is a different order. And in the winter, it's cold and dark and black. But in the in the summer, it shines golden. And Sean and I go down there and we go smallmouth fishing, and the minks come out on the other side, and over here is something else, and then these ducks come down through, and then the the other I don't even know all the all the different species of ducks that'll swim down while we're down there fishing. But it's like there's this whole system here along this river is alive, and and something's ordering it. Yep. I can't see him when I look at him, but I can see him in the peripheral. God made all that; it's just fascinating. I know what's coming next. It's going to be winter there, but when that is done, the red buds will come out, and for miles along that, it will just turn bright purple on both sides, and it's just like it's like a free longwood gardens kaleidoscope. And um, and that's just one little area. I, you know, if you ever go to India or somewhere, fly on Emirates. And and get the the night flight that lands in Dubai about eight o'clock in the morning because the last half hour forty five minutes you're coming in and the sun is coming up towards you and you just see the, the the expanse of desert and you're only about eighteen thousand fourteen thousand ten thousand and you're almost come, you're coming in and the sun is coming up, that brown ugly sand just turns into a mirage of color. And you see blues and purples and oranges and yellow. And it's just sand. But somebody said, let there be light. And there was light. And then there's shadow. And the evening and the morning are separated. And the day and the night are separated. And it comes alive on the desert just to the west of Dubai at about 7.30 in the morning. And if you ever get the chance, you'll be glad you had stayed awake for it. It's just it's beautiful. But it's not the desert that gets the glory. It's the one in the peripheral. Behold. There's one more behold that you that, that is here in this chapter. And that is at the end. These are the verses you know so well. Hast thou not known? Hast thou not heard that the everlasting God, the Lord, the creator of the ends of the earth, fainteth not, neither is weary? There is no searching of his understanding. He giveth power to the faint, and to them that have no might he increases strength. Even the youth shall faint and be weary, and the young men shall utterly fall. But they that wait upon Jehovah... The Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mound up with wings as eagles. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not faint. And the crier is standing on the wall saying, Behold your God. And you can't see him, so you're looking for something else. And what you're going to see now is a creator, an everlasting God that neither faints nor is weary. But what you see with your eyes is that over here was a man, burdened down, bogged down. It could be sin, it could be sickness, it could be a a frustrating day. And all of a sudden, this is what it looks like from a distance. All of a sudden, that man perks up and he gets his strength back. Where did that come from? It's a very spiritual thing. Perhaps the man prayed. For sure he got grace. Power to the faint, and to them that have no might, he increases strength. And when you see a human being go from cast down to lifted up, and it looks like nothing you could see or put your hands on happen, you've just seen the Creator in the peripheral. Behold your God. And this is a dynamic that I'm sure many of you I'd like to believe all of you, even if you have been so stubborn as to not name His name, the name of Jesus or to follow him, it, it's, you still get it. I marvel at how my neighbors and customers, just as obstinate as the day is long, and then they get this break, this new boost, and they don't even know where it comes from, but I can tell them where because I know the invisible. And I know his work when I see it. He giveth power to them. And they that wait upon the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mound up with wings as eagle. They run and are not weary. They walk and are and do not faint. And it's a marvelous thing. And really the only thing I was trying to stress tonight is the call to recognize the call that we're supposed to look for God. Behold Him. There's a verse in Psalms that says that at the end of time, God is going to turn the nations and all those who forget Him into hell. And and, and just listening to that verse, you say, well, that's kind of harsh. But no, it's not. For you see, even though the optic nerve was blinding out the light, the peripheral was exploding with reality the whole time. And anywhere you look, whether it's in your nature, whether it's in the movings, of up goes Donald Trump and down goes Donald Trump or whatever. And, and in these, these little stories of a man cast down, or a woman for that matter, a family, and they enter into some of the darkest valleys of living and they come out the other side, lifted up, and you say, How did that happen? To which we simply answer, You've just seen God. And so the question tonight is, are you looking for God? Do you see Him? Do you retain that option in your in your reality? That's the cry of Isaiah forty, from what I can tell. I don't think I'm going to give an imitation. I want you to just go home and ask yourself the question. Do I do I look for God? Do I see Him? And if you don't, that's understandable. Nobody can see Him. But everybody can see all this other. I almost said stuff, and that's not the right word. All this other accompaniment. It's his hand that is doing these things. And when you see the Savior, and when you see the nature, and when you see the nations, and when you see the grace, you know that he is here. Go home and think about these things. Come back tomorrow night, and we will study some more. God bless you for coming. Let's stand for dismissal.